Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Well, what is the path to a life of abundance and blessing? What if it isn't what we expected? What if the way forward begins with going backwards? We all want the blessed life, but we often search for it in the wrong places. So author and pastor Alex Seeley explores 20 surprising principles that flip our thinking so that we can live an abundant life in the upside down kingdom of God. Pastor Alex and her husband, Henry, pastored the Belonging Company in Nashville, Tennessee. And in her new book, The Opposite Life, she helps us unlock the mysteries of God's upside down kingdom. Welcome, Pastor Alex. I'm so honored to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, I want to dive into some of these 20 principles that you explore. They're really kingdom principles instead of cultural principles, countercultural principles. And uh, I'm going to start with kind of where you frame it. And then I want to talk a little bit about your story, how you moved to Nashville. But the opposite life gives us these 20 countercultural principles to unpack and to live this abundant life that God has called us to. It is often very difficult, different than what we might look at it as. And you start with moving in the opposite spirit, really becomes the foundation for the entire book. I loved your mom's advice. Maybe you can share how this kind of flowed from that and that she encouraged you that we can change the atmosphere. I loved this. And that when we choose to move in the opposite spirit, it actually gives us authority over the situation. So if we yeah. know it's going to do that, or maybe we don't even know that it's going to do that. If that can be the blessing of us choosing an opposite spirit, then why pastor Alex, don't we do it? Why is it so difficult to do do this as kind of our foundation for everything else. Yeah. Well, honestly, this book has been my life message because I've obviously had to live it before you can speak it and share it. And, you know, uh, like I said, in my first chapter, like I was a young woman Mm. entering into being at Bible college, wanting to be in the ministry, wanting to be a woman of God. And, um, you know, I had this, this adversary that would constantly come at me in the most negative, foul, gross way. Like it wasn't even, and, and they weren't a Christian. So I couldn't expect them to be like me, but sure. I don't know what it does. And I think the climate that we're living in right now, it, it get it just, it hits you in a spot that makes you feel like you have to get revenge and you have to, you want justice. You know, I think we, we can, we can, um, we can disguise justice and it be a very worldly concept, but not really understanding what the kingdom principle mm. is to love our enemy. And I think this is just one of the most simple ways of allowing the flesh to be in submission to our spirit man. Because when we become a new creation, we become bound to the mind of Christ. We become more like Jesus. And Jesus never reiterated, like, retaliated in anger. He never defended himself. He never yelled and screamed at a sinner. Oh, he was really sharp with 
the religious folk, but to a sinner, to someone who doesn't know any better, he extended love, grace, mercy, kindness. And this is what shifts atmospheres. And I remember my mum having to school me and saying, because I lost it one day, because it got to a point where I was being a good Christian, being a good Christian. And then I snapped because, you know, I couldn't even write in the book what this man called me. Hmm. Uh, And it was awful. And so that's when I snapped because now it became personal, but it was completely the antithesis of who I was. And so he was making a judgment and a slur and a slander against me. And so I just felt justified to just retaliate. My flesh just wanted to pay him back. But that's when my mum said, excuse me, this is where as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you've got to know better and you've got to be better. And you get to determine how you shift atmospheres in your life because Mm. he wants the reaction and then it's just going to keep hate alive. Mm. But when you heap coals on somebody who is wanting to get a negative reaction from you so that then they can turn around and go, oh, so you're a Christian, are you? Look at how you just responded. Therefore, your faith means nothing. Mm. That's when we get to actually put on the mind of Christ live like Christ, not do it from the flesh, but you have to draw from your spirit and choose what's opposite and counter to what your flesh wants to do. And it's amazing the results that you will get when you choose to do it God's way and not the world's way. And when I've put these practices implemented in my life, I've watched my life change. Like Mm -hmm. I've found peace. I've found freedom. Even if that person is still toxic, I've changed. And I'm now no longer holding the bitterness and the resentment and the unforgiveness and the, and the spirit of revenge, but I've, I've allowed it to just be like water off a duck's back to go, you know what? They don't know any better, but I get to, I get to change the narrative of this story. Mm -hmm. And it really does change your life. It does. It's powerful. The principles are so powerful. I notice this theme of justice throughout many of the chapters. And uh, I wonder at our core, we're probably both women who really do not only love God and love people, but we, we, you, you, I see this pattern throughout the book of you seeing an injustice happening and help us walk that line because there are a lot of times we see something that's unjust. We want to act. We want to be an advocate or we want to be God's heart and voice, but often we can, as you just described, kind of do it in the wrong spirit. One of the things you commented when we're trying to just even get this first grasp is that we feel like living with a loving and forgiving heart can feel defeating. I thought that was very insightful. So we might be thinking, well, wait, I see an injustice. I see something that needs to be addressed. Are you wanting me to just to turn a blind eye to not act like it's there? So I'm sure that's, you know, you do address this in more detail in the book, but help us understand why when we choose to love and forgive, we choose to act opposite of our flesh. It might feel defeating, but it's not defeating. Help us with this idea of justice a little bit. Yeah. I mean, God is a just God. And he's a God of justice. I mean, right. we learned that attribute from our father. We learned that from Jesus. But the way he went about justice is so contrary to the world's way of justice. Because justice, now I believe like being an advocate and getting in and defending those that are helpless. Like if someone is being sexually abused or physically abused, I'm I'm not going to just be going in going, oh, let's just love them. And no, we we love them but we hate the sin, 
but we it's the way we go in to fight that justice. It's mm-hmm. we're going to protect those that can't protect themselves. But then you hating that person who has been an abuser is not Christ's way because God came just as much for that abuser and that a violator as much as he came for the victim. Mm. And so we've got to understand that while we must stand for things that matter, it's the way we stand yeah. and it's the way we want, you know, it's this Old Testament version of eye for eye, tooth for yeah. tooth. You know, if you take a life, we take a life. But but the new kingdom is very different. Mm. He says, love your enemy. He says, do good to those who hurt you. He says, actually, if somebody takes your shirt, give them your coat also. If someone smacks you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone demands something from you, go, go extra, go further. Why? Because he's actually saying that mercy, kindness, goodness will win over revenge and unforgiveness and ungodliness. And so while we must stand for things that are right, 100%, I am not saying not to, but it is in the way we do it. And I think 2020 really showed us how Christians don't really understand the kingdom of God. Yeah. They wanted their justice and they wanted their rights. But you see, as a Christian, we surrendered our rights when we gave them to Jesus. He's our Lord and we no longer have any rights. We're basically a bond servant to our Lord. And if the Lord was willing to lay down his life, if the Lord was willing to forgive those who persecuted him, if the Lord was silent when somebody was accusing him, if the Lord decided to do these things and he won over the power of the enemy, Mm. then there is something in this that I think as American Christians, especially, it's a westernized, I don't know how we've morphed the politics of the world into the kingdom. Yes. Not a democratic system. Yeah. Yeah. The kingdom of God. It is a kingdom and we are king and we are his subjects and we live by his rule and reign, not by what the people want. It is what your king wants. And Mm -hmm. when you live by that, honestly, it seems defeating. It feels like, oh, I feel weak. But actually, it's in our surrender. It's in in us not even being weak. It's actually us being meek, strong, mm. under control. That's it. We are able then to usurp the powers of darkness and actually go into a realm of authority that mm. I think the world hasn't seen yet because we're doing things in the flesh rather than let's look at how Jesus did it and now let's learn the discerning way. What's the wisdom in this? So if somebody were hating me, and honestly, I wrote The Opposite Life more so for what happens to you personally. Sure. Like this happens to you when you're walking through this as a disciple of Jesus, how are you going to respond and how are you going to to love others and how are you going to serve even when you feel like it's less than, but I've just learned in my 30 years of ministry, this is, my life is blessed. It's at peace and it's full of joy because I've taken the narrow road. Mm, So, so good. That's one of the chapters, narrow versus wide and, and choosing to release justice, trusting the Lord. I just had a long conversation with someone recently that 
We do sadly uh, impose our Americanized way of democracy and our rights. We idolize our rights and we don't really understand and grasp fully the kingdom that we have a king and we don't live in a king society here. So it's, I think it's very hard for us to get our mind around that. Even Jesus had to use analogies, even to get the people today, the kingdom is like this. And the kingdom is like this. And not only are we his subjects, but we are his sons and daughters. We are co-heirs, which is extraordinary. So like you're saying, that's the authority we're given. If we will really trust God to take care of those things for us, he sees, he knows, but it's us releasing a good counselor said to us once, you can't control what happens. You can only control your reactions and then what you choose to believe about yes. what happens to you. So that's really what you're addressing is yes. how can we get a hold of our reactions, our belief yes. systems that drive those reactions and let them change from the inside out until our our norm becomes kingdom responses rather than our norm becoming flesh defaults. So um, such such great wisdom. And and guys, we're only able to scratch the surface, but you're hearing in Pastor Alex's voice just such the the richness that's in this. This is one of these books that you need to read and then take your time applying. You're going to have to like look at a reaction And then kind of weigh it within that, okay, did I choose kingdom response here? So Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your huge decision that you and your husband, Henry, made to move to the States um, because you talk about death versus life. That's one of the chapters early on. And you made this huge decision that led to what is now the Belonging Company, which is a thriving, wonderful life-giving church in Nashville. But what we may not know behind the scenes that this really involved a death to your dreams and a surrender. And you had kind of a marked moment moment in that, that the Lord brought you to. I remember Sarita Jake saying once, yeah, y'all see me now, but you didn't see me living on the backside of the desert. So, you know, we see sometimes the finished work or the work that looks blessed, but we don't always know the cost of what it took for that person to surrender, even in your case, a death to dream so that you could see the life that not only you're living, but that you and your husband are leading others into. So walk us through that process and how we can even trust God when a yes means a death to a dream. Yeah. I think it it goes right down to identity Mm. and the identity is, um, do you trust God as father? And do you trust that he has got every single one of your steps ordered Mm. and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life? And I think if I have to be really honest, I didn't really know that as a revelation in my early years. I thought that I had to work for God and I thought that I wanted to do things that blessed me, you know, like I was going to do this and I was going to do that for God. And it was huge because the dream was so much about me when I got the dream. It was about what I was going to do and how I was going to look and what it meant for me and what it would bring me. And I think that the death process of, you know, Jesus talks about a seed has to fall into the ground and die before it produces anything. I think we, again, in our American dream mentality is that, you know, you, you grow up, you go to school, you you go to college, you do, you get married, you, you pursue the, the pursuit of happiness, you know, and so yeah. your goals are always about attaining and gaining and doing. And But nowhere in the gospel do I see where Jesus says, follow me 
and I will fulfill your dream. There's nowhere in the the Gospels that he says, I'm here to fulfill your dreams. Mm. And this struck me because as I was, I actually became, I think my dreams became an idol, if I have to be Mm. really honest. And I became, because I began to look at all, and I think even now more than ever, I mean, I was in my 20s when this was, manifesting and then obviously in my 30s I had to deal with it just on the cusp of me being 40 is when I really had to die but I realized now we have a social media culture that makes ministry or anything that people do look so easy and so fast and so overnight that we forget the process of dying to self Mm. and again I have to look at Jesus if he's the one we are following Jesus had to die before he became the name that is above every name. He had to humble himself and make himself of no reputation until he endured a physical death. We just have to endure a spiritual death, an emotional death. And so for me, it was getting to that place where God stripped me of everything, took me to the back blocks of Nashville in a wilderness that I thought was punishment. And God's saying, no, I need you to shift your perspective because if you see this as punishment, then you don't know me, but this is actually your training ground. That's right. And if you can let go of all the things that you've perceived it to be and all the things that you want it to be and just know me, then that's that's the holy grail for me. To know God and be known by him was the thing that I didn't know that I needed. And I think we're searching for all these external things to validate us and to make us feel worthy and to make us feel like we're here on purpose. Yet the thing that actually died in me was my ambition, myself, my ego, just me. And I finally died and I realized, oh, now this is what it means to rise up a new creation I'm the Lord's and the Lord is mine. And he's got a plan that's all about his destiny and people. It's not actually about me. It's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> like Joseph, where he had a dream as a teenager and the dream was about him. And then God had to almost nut it out of him so that then he realized, oh, this dream was always about the salvation of the people. That's right. So when you get to that place where you can say, God, not my will, but yours be done, that's a death. That that was Jesus's prayer before he went to be slaughtered on a cross. Mm. I think that's when everything shifts. And so now I hold everything loosely. I, I, I'm only obedient to his call. And so him mm. asking us to start the belonging was never my dream. That's not my dream. My dream was never to be a senior pastor of a church. In fact, that was the last thing I wanted to do on the planet (laughs) Earth. But because now I'm dead, I go, God, not my will, yours be done. And then what happens in that, it's like he fulfills the dreams you didn't even know you had in you. Mm. And your life becomes so beyond blessed that now, like just this weekend, we came off a staff retreat and I had to pinch myself going, do I really get to do this? Wow. Do I really get to do this? Yet yeah, I would never have chosen this for my life. But when you die and realize that in order to be fruitful, yes, the seed has to die in order to multiply, you'll, you'll be driving yourself to the slaughterhouse because you'll realize that on the other side of it, it's actually a very blessed, beautiful mm. life. Wow, it's so powerful, Pastor Alex. I mean, there's so much there to unpack. But what we miss when we don't do that 
I mean, you and your husband are living this, this blessed life of impacting lives, not only in Nashville, but around the world, making your lives matter for the kingdom. But it is that initial choice that I'm going to choose to lay everything down that I think my way, my plans. And it's not usually a one and done. There's going to be many opportunities we come that come our way that we have to re reposture ourselves to say, God, once again, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing kingdom. Sometimes it's, it's daily because this book has so many different from big picture items, like choosing an opposite spirit and the way Jesus is our example to individual things like love versus hate. You talked about loving your, our enemies and how that's countercultural, even from what we're hearing now and doubt versus faith, you know, um, wide versus narrow, so many different areas. Um, my, I, I want to lean for a second, um, into doubt versus, and, and the difference between doubt and unbelief, my father, which you, you don't know this pastor house doesn't know this about me, but my father and I just wrote a book that releases actually by the time oh, this airs, by the yeah. time this airs, it will have um, released called brave enough to believe how the life of mm-hmm. doubting Thomas answers our hard questions. Yeah. And actually my dad and I struggled to even put the word doubting Thomas on the cover because <laughs> I agree with you that he gets a bad rap because he's so pigeonholed into this one moment in his life. But, you know, we look at four major encounters between Thomas and Jesus in that um, book. And what we saw is that Jesus knew Thomas for the courage to question and the bravery then to believe. And that as you identified, it's, it's in Thomas's deepest place of longing that Jesus met him there. And what I was so struck by, and I'd love for you to speak to this, Pastor Alex, is when when he had said, there's no way, unless, unless this happens, I'm not going to believe. And we, a lot of times in our lives, we attach an unless to our faith, unless God does this, yeah. unless God does that, yeah. where we have to really shift that and flip that to be regardless regardless of whatever happens, I'm going to choose to believe. But what I found so profound in that, that part of the story that you identify in this chapter is that Jesus invited Thomas to come closer. Then he told him, stop doubting and believe. I think sometimes as Christians, we get that backwards. I need to get my act all together. Once I get everything ready, or we put that projection to someone else when, when they get this and that then, you know, they're welcome. Even the title of your church is the belonging company. So talk for a moment before we wrap up pastor about how we, whether you're listening and you're a believer and you're like, how can I better navigate friends and family going through doubts? Yeah. And how can I even navigate my own? How can we keep an open heart toward those that are struggling? Because the worst thing Thomas did was isolate himself. Totally. We have to stay in community. So I really want to do it's so close to my heart right now in this season. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we both as pastors saw people deconstruct and and yeah. shift out of faith, especially during COVID. So help us understand what our response is again, the opposite yeah. life. What yeah. is the countercultural and kingdom response when we ourselves or someone we love is struggling with doubt? Yeah, well, you know, I put that first scripture in at the 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 top of the um chapter from Jude verse 22 and he's saying be merciful yeah. to those who doubt. 
And that rocked me because there are people who are weak. There's people that are actually on a journey to discovering who are you, God, and where were you? I mean, I've counseled many girls over the years who have been sexually abused and their their doubt is, where were you, God? Why did you allow that to happen? So how can I trust that you're a loving God when something so hideous happened to me? And Jesus isn't sitting there going, how dare you say, you know, where were you or who are you? He is leaning into their pain and he's wanting to go to the place where he's wanting to reveal that he is good. And I think we have to be careful as Christians and believers that when people are on a journey, because unbelief is is just a hard faith. That's right. I choose not to believe because I am disappointed by you and right. you, you know you're, so that, that unbelief that's a sin because you're choosing to say I don't trust you and I don't actually believe that you're good and I don't think you can whereas doubt it's 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 the in-between it's on the road to unbelief it's not there quite yet and we have to capture people in their doubts and be merciful to those in their doubts mm. and that's why we did call our church the belonging because I had this revelation that I went the way Jesus chose his disciples is he chose he chose them because he said you know what sons you belong to me before you even know who I am mm. and before you even had the revelation that I am the Christ you belong because you're a son. You just don't know it yet. But the more time you spend with me, the more that will be revealed to you. Mm. And so for me, seeing Thomas, who would always get this bad rap, I mean, Jesus does say, look, I would rather you believe before you have to see it. Right, right. Those of you who don't, let's calm down for everybody because I have, I've just seen so many people that when you just get down to their level and go, you know what? I understand. I understand your questions. Yes. They are valid. Yes. And God can actually handle your questions. He is not afraid of them. He's not taking it personally that you've not trusted him. Now, if you're a seasoned believer after 20 years and you're still doubting him, well, then that's, that's a different story. Sure. When you're, the road to believing like Thomas was. He was so downcast because he was thinking, how can it be that the one that saw the Lazarus rise from the dead and saw the blind eyes open and saw limbs grow and, you know, lame walk and demons flee, like how did he die? And how has he risen again? Because that is, and I think we take it for granted that, that's somebody raising themselves from the dead. Right. Nobody else has ever done that right. on planet Earth. So how are we, who, what would we have thought if someone came to us and said, so-and-so has died and rose again? I, I, I actually think Thomas was the truly honest one. I do too. Yeah, you know? I agree. And that's where I think we have to realize that, hey, there may be doubts, but that's not hard unbelief. And let's... Right. Let's capture their hearts and actually get the wisdom of God to find out the wound in their heart and, and, and introduce Jesus so that he will be seen as good. And then mm. that will shift our perspective because God is good and he's going to reveal himself as good. And so, yeah, it's one of my favorite 
chapters. Well, and I could see that how, how that could even frame out your perspective on church with the belonging company, yes. because the best thing Thomas did in that situation was return to community. Yes. The first time the apostles came to him, he was not with them when Jesus appeared. Right. So we don't know all that backstory, but we know that he was the only one who had completely withdrawn, which doubt and confusion. And as you said, pain wounds, we can yes. retreat, we can hide, we can pull away from church and that what we need to be doing is going back into our faith communities and we need to provide faith communities where people can come and say, you know what? I'm really struggling. That's right. Can you walk me with, can you walk with me through this That's and not right. shame people in their moments of doubt, but to minister to them and bring them along. So I wanted to highlight that not only because it's close to my heart, but because I knew that was an underpinning of, of the belonging company and the way that you and your husband have chosen to approach ministry. And I so appreciate that we're seasoned over here with 30 years ourselves of ministry. And we've, we've got to, we've, we've got to be able to continue to be places where people can find hope and healing and the answers to their hard questions. God's not afraid of them and we can't be afraid of them either. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the way, not only that you're ministering your community, but really the belonging company is touching all over the world, to be honest, through worship, through your teachings and your preachings. But I know people might be listening and want to get a copy of your book, Pastor. So where would you like them to go to get the opposite life, connect with you, connect with the ministry of the belonging company? Well, honestly, for those listening right now, I would love for you to actually email um, because right now our books are back ordered at our publishing house because they're sold out of the the, um the amount that they had. That's a good and problem I mean, to have. It is a good problem. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I've actually been able to acquire a couple of hundred. And okay. so I just sub- actually DM'd somebody today on my Instagram because they were like, we went to Amazon and they've run out and we've, oh. we don't know where to buy it. And one girl actually got the last copy at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, it, they're kind of few and far between right now. But if you email, um, contact, at the belonging.co contact at the belonging.co and ask to purchase. We will post them out to you. We will send oh. them out to you and we might even put them online on our website at the moment. Right. We do have copies. Um, and so the belonging.co as well. But I, if you email contact at the belonging, but try Amazon, see if they've restocked them. I mean, they were back ordered before Christmas. Um, they still haven't notified me. We were able to get just the last couple of hundred so wow. that when I travel, I'm able to sell them when I travel, but I do have some in stock at the church so I can post them out to you and we'll get you all the details. But oh, that's so great. At, at that point, but you know, otherwise you could just get online, get on Instagram and, yeah. and get on my podcast at the belonging. Uh, website. I love it. And I'll put that on my show notes too, so people know where to find it. It's such a great resource, guys. We're here toward the, toward the still toward the beginning of 2023. And, you know, there's going to be no shortage of opportunities to respond the way the culture wants us to respond. We have to be intentional about living the, the opposite life. It's not just going to happen. These are deliberate choices that we're going to make to surrender and let, let Jesus way become our way. So I always like to ask one last question before you pray over us, Pastor Alex, and and you're a, you're a Bible teacher. So I'm so curious to know your answer, but other than Jesus, who is that person in the Bible that most inspires you to make life matter? You know, I love the relationship of the apostle John 
mm. and Jesus. Yeah. And I love the longevity of his ministry and the fact that even in his old age, he was more in love with Jesus mm. the older he got than wow. when he first found him. Wow. And I feel like with John, he was always leading us to fall in love with Jesus. Yeah. Because that's actually what makes your life matter. Yeah. It's you to be known by him and to know him. I don't even, because I think Paul is amazing and I think Peter's amazing and I think David and Joseph and Esther sure. and they're amazing. But I think the highest goal of every believer is to know him intimately and to be known by him. And I think John's life emulates that right down to the end, that even in his old age in exile, Jesus reveals himself in mm. ways that if we are reading the book of Revelation, not the way I was taught growing up, I was taught the doom and gloom of sure. the rapture and the apocalypse. But if you need a good book to really understand John's revelation of Revelation, of of Jesus is um Daryl Johnson's discipleship on the edge. It'll change your life. Mm. And it again what the friendship that John had with Jesus, mm. that he was a friend. Mm. And I think for me that makes my life matter because yeah. when I know that I'm doing this for my Lord, but he's also my savior and my best friend, mm. oh, it's the thing that gets me awake every day. Yeah. Thing mm. that makes me just go, I will do this until I die. And in fact, I'll die for my faith. I'll wow. die for the one who is the lover of my soul. Wow. And so he makes, he makes everything better. Every time I read John, even first, second, third John, I mean, they're, they're my favorite because he's talking as an old man and oh. he's telling us, Hey, children, get a hold of yeah. this. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I love that. Finishing well, longevity. Yes. Well, I used to laugh because he always says that John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Oh, totally. And he's talking about himself. So I'm totally. At first I thought it was so like funny and kind of weird and awkward. And then I thought, you know, he felt so loved. He, he did. felt loved by Jesus. Yeah. Obviously Jesus is no respecter for he loves all of us. But like you're saying, if we would live in the revelation of the love of God and view of God's mercy and view of his love for us, present your lives a living sacrifice. That's our worship. And it's not because of anything we've done or that we deserve simply because he loved us. And when we live in that revelation, it becomes so much more natural to live this opposite life because we live from a place of being loved. Yeah. So thank you. Thank from you. Love. No. From love. That's not for, yes, that's yeah. been my lifelong lesson. It sounds like we've had similar yeah. uh, coming out of performance and knowing it's yeah. not, it's not to live for love. It's because we are loved that we do for him. Yeah. So yeah, go guys, go get the book. It, how gracious of her to say she can share her stock with us. So I'll put that in our show notes and, Pastor, we so appreciate your time and your voice in our generation. We bless you and your husband, Henry, the work you're doing. But would you please pray over our listeners as we end today? Yeah. Father, we just thank you for this time together, God. There's never a moment where your presence is not in the midst of us when we're talking about you and your ways. And God, I pray for every listener that is maybe 
asking, well, how can I do this, Father? And I just pray that you would reveal your goodness to them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them so that as they receive, as they're baptized in your love, God, that they would see with different eyes, that they would hear with new ears and that their heart would be moved with compassion towards the things that you love. And so, God, I just pray a blessing upon each and every one of them. And I pray that from this moment on, as they heed to your word and they follow your way, that they would begin to see the fruit of their life be blessed because God doing it your way is always the right way. Your word says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added. So God, I pray that as these listeners seek you first and the way that you do things in righteousness, that everything, every blessing, every bit of their life would be added to them in the best possible way. So we ask this, we ask blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.